We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, welcome into the Get the Discharge podcast presented by the Blue Air Podcast Network. My name is Steven, I'm your host. Happy to be joined by my guys, Tyler and Alex. Alex, we'll start with you, man. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing pretty good today, except for the fact that Chip Kelly won a big game. So, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, it was a great game, though. It was a lot of fun to watch. Um, Tyler, your USC Trojans escaped. They they, they beat, um, who did they play yesterday? I can't even remember right now. Uh, San, Jose San Jose State. State. They beat San Jose State, so... Uh, that was kind of fun to watch, I guess. Uh, but how are you doing today, man? Uh, didn't watch it, but I was able to watch the score, and they won, and that's all that matters. So there's that. So we are Utah and USC one and one or one and zero each, headed for Rutgers is one and zero too, baby. Don't one forget it. Okay. We're talking about like schools that matter here. So USC and Utah are both one and zero, and I can't wait to see. Did them you score sixty points? I don't think you scored sixty points. Who Rutgers play? Uh, Temple. Okay, gotcha. That's about the same level as San Jose State and Weber yeah. State. Good it's for you guys. I'm really, I'm really proud yeah, of you, Damian man. Damian Lillard School. Yeah, the Damian Lillard School. We were just talking about how they do have a good football program, but you know, it is what it is. Your first week of the game, the first game of the year, you just got to escape, win, mm-hmm. take care of business, and move on because the first week is always a disaster. Um. Okay, so we have a great show planned for you guys today. We're going to talk about uh how we are looking at the afc as a whole in terms of tiers we're also going to talk about some things that potentially changed our minds during training camp and preseason or or didn't change our minds um and we also have an interview with jeff miller so as always the audio version is going to happen right after this the video version of that is going to be separate so please go check that out I, i had a great conversation with jeff miller of the la times and here is the audio version. Hey guys, welcome back to the Guilty as Charged podcast presented by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Very happy today to be joined by a special guest who covers the Chargers for the LA Times, Mr. Jeff Miller. Jeff, thanks for taking the time to join me. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. And thanks for having me on. Yeah, super excited about this conversation. Um, I, I know everybody really is very excited about football season coming up, and it's a little weird not having a fourth preseason game, but I think a lot of the players probably are, are pretty excited about that. 
Um, I, before we jump into the nitty and gritty uh, conversation, I, I want to get your thoughts on what everybody's kind of been talking about recently, which is, of course, the decision by Brandon Staley and company to cut Tyron Johnson. Um, it got off to a very hot start for training camp. Uh, people kind of expected him to be, you know, a, a major factor on this offense. Uh, were you surprised by the decision to cut Tyron Johnson yesterday or two days ago, rather? Yeah, uh, I think we all were a little bit surprised. I think most of us had him making the team and uh, just based on what he did last year. And, and the, you know, this team, team still needs a deep threat. Uh, we know Jalen Guyton can get deep, but uh, that's the one thing that, that Johnson did uh, better than probably anybody. And, and that's the one thing he did give them, at, you know, at least when he, he burst on the scene last year, those first few games, he was spectacular. But uh, it came down to, I think, just a, a matter of special teams, really. It just these, – these positions get so tight, and I think fans probably maybe think that's a cop-out or something or don't really understand completely that um, these spots, they, get, they fill up really fast. And when they decided yeah. to keep three quarterbacks, which, again, we all were a little surprised by that, I think, uh, all of a sudden it got even tighter. And – and you can only keep so many guys who really aren't going to contribute much on special teams, uh, you know, and guys like Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and your, and your stars who, who you don't want to put in the position where they have to also be, you know, playing uh, kick, you know, kick game and all that stuff. So, um, and unfortunately, Tyron just uh, didn't, he, he had returned some kickoffs a little bit last year. It didn't, didn't do that great and wasn't an option to return punts. So, that's the reason why it really comes down to that. If he could return punts, he'd probably be on this team in, in place of KJ Hill. But KJ Hill can return punts, and that's that's really the difference. I think what it came down to between the two. Yeah. So I, I was at the the first weekend of training camp. Uh, that was the only weekend I was able to make it out, and they, you know, they did some punt return drills, and it was pretty clear that uh, Jalen Guyton and Tyron Johnson were not super comfortable back there, uh, in comparison to KJ, like you mentioned, and, and Austin Prol as well. Who uh, was recently signed on the practice squad today? Yeah, it, it uh, you know it, it's really um, it, you see those. It's funny that you were out there right at the beginning of camp, and that stuff you see early in camp means as much as the stuff at the end because they these yeah. teams don't they don't mess around. Like when you see stuff out there, it's usually what's what what you see is usually reality, and you saw it. I mean, right early on, uh, neither one of those guys looked real good back there catching punts, and I I think really early on, unless Tyron really went crazy and in, in, in the preseason games or just, I think he, he was just fighting an uphill battle just because of that special teams, uh, his inability to, to contribute much on special teams. It, but like you say, you, you see it early on and it's just stayed true throughout the entire training camp. Even, even when he had some, some nice moments during camp, uh, that, that reality was still there facing him and the, and the coaches all knew that. Yeah, just an unfortunate spot and, you know, hoping for him. They're hoping for, you know, some continued success down there in Jacksonville. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about just kind of like the overall operation of training camp because you've obviously, you know, covered the Chargers through Anthony Lynn and now with Brandon Staley. And I know um, Joe Reedy kind of talked about one thing that really stood out to him uh, in terms of Brandon Staley's operation was that he had never seen so many special teams drills in training camp in an NFL training camp before what is, what has been kind of your impression of the way that Brandon Staley is operating right now as a head coach? And what have you seen throughout training camp so far? Well, I can tell you exactly that Joe was right on. And so uh, this week we were talking to uh, Tom Pelesco, the general manager and Joe mentioned the, this, the, all the special teams periods 
And I can tell you that that Tom's reaction to that was, Joe, why do you think we did that? <laughs> Which is <a> response. <laughs> Which was just yeah. like saying, we all saw what we saw last year too. You know, everybody saw the same thing, which was this team really right. had a hard time with special teams. So that was the one thing that we all that jumped out from training camp to all of us was just they they really emphasized special teams in a big way, like a way that we never saw under Anthony Lynn. And the other thing they did that was interesting and just I mean, Staley's attention to detail is just remarkable. And uh, one of the things that they would do with these special teams periods, they would mix them in uh, in the middle of an offensive period, or, you know, offense going against defense. Then they would mix in you know, these team periods. Then they would mix in a special teams period. Then they go back to teams, you know, 11 and 11, seven on seven. Then they would mix in another special teams period. And what they were trying to do is mimic a game. So you'd have a, you know, the offense would be out there and then they'd get stopped and then they'd come off the field and now here comes the kicking game. And it wasn't, yeah. you know, it wasn't like a series and a switching back and forth, but they, they, they did it in such a way where they were trying to mimic a game and try to get the players in that same mode of, okay, now we're on special teams. So now the guys who aren't on special teams are standing on the sideline, you know, getting water, watching, and then now they're knowing they're about to go back out there. The guys on defense, the same thing. So you, uh, you just saw stuff like that. And, and, I mean, Staley was uh, right from the beginning. You could tell this was a super organized. He's he's such a good teacher. He's really passionate about teaching. He talked about it this week, and I'm yeah. telling you, he he literally got he, he you get him going on teaching, and he his eyes get <laughs> kind of glassy, and he gets a little misty. He gets really into it. He's really emotional about it, and, and part of it goes back to his parents. They were both started as teachers. His dad ended up going in a different field, but his mom was a teacher, and I'm sure when he gets into that teacher mode and he talks about that he i'm sure he's thinking about his mom and i i'm sure that gets emotional for me and it means a lot to him and being a teacher means a lot to him because he he saw it growing up that and how important that was and and uh so all of that stuff it, it's really cool to talk to him about teaching because he really does he he gets he gets passionate about that like most football coaches get passionate about x's and o's and he'll do that yeah. too you know don't don't get me wrong he'll do that too but you get him into that teaching mode and and, you, you know, you, it's like being in a seminar, you know, you sit there and you, you almost, you know, he can almost mesmerize a room with when he starts talking about why they do things and the things he believes and education and all this stuff. It's, it's really fascinating. He, he's been, uh, he's just been a delight to be around. He, he is a, uh, the one, my biggest takeaway is he is a super smart guy that the Chargers will not go into games and have to worry about is the other coach smarter than our coach. I mean, cause it's not going to happen. There's some smart coaches who are, who are like Staley, but he, there, I don't. I don't think there's anybody in the league who's smarter than he is. It's amazing. Like it, it really is. And, and the word mesmerizing that you used really kind of sums it up for me because uh, you know I went back and listened to that press conference the other day, and the way that he talks about the philosophy aspect of teaching and coaching, uh, you just sit there and you're like, this is amazing. Like this is like I feel like I'm in a legitimate coach's clinic right now. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. And, and the, the fortunate thing for people and like what I do is it's hard to really reproduce that in a way that's meaningful. You, know, it, <laughs> yeah. you, you almost have to be sitting in there, right? And experience it because it, it, the best way to say it, I think, is just it's like being in a seminar and teaching. How, you know, and he, would, he, he could go into a high school or go to the you know, LA Unified School District and deliver a presentation that people would be up cheering at the end of it. And, and it, would, yeah. it, it would help all of them as teachers. And they are teachers for a living. I mean, he, you know, he's he's taking it to a different level. But he he literally, this guy could be the greatest high school teacher in the world if he wanted to be. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. So 
obviously the Chargers have finished training camp. They finished up the preseason. And with that, you know, comes the inevitable hype trains that we've seen. Um, a lot of people talking about Kaiser White and rightfully so. Who have been some players that you feel like have had, who have quietly had some really great training camps and could, you know, um, launch themselves into potentially having like a breakout season this year for the Chargers? Yeah, I mean, Kaiser is the one that we all kind of jumped out at all of us, just the way he's he's played. And, of course, with him and, like, all these guys that's staying healthy. I think, you know, Drew Tranquil is another guy. He Both those guys are going to be rotating in there with, with uh, Kenneth Murray and the inside linebacker. So they're going to be kind of splitting snaps and, uh, you know, taking a little bit away from each other. But uh, I think they're both – those are two guys, I think, in the system that can just explode. I mean, Kenneth Murray is another guy. We, we obviously saw what he did last year, 107 tackles and led the team and, you know, most tackles for a rookie and all that stuff. And But he – you know, I think it, that is a position where, that the Chargers have some depth and they have some some real, uh, you know, playmaking ability to have – you know, there, there's a reason that to be excited for all three of those guys, but I, that's yeah. that, you know, the middle of that defense is, uh, is something I think that they're really excited about. And of course he, he, you know, Derwin James is back out there and we all know what he means. And, you know, he, by all accounts has had a great camp, obviously didn't play in any of the preseason games, which was smart. We all know that. And we, we all know there was no reason for him to be out there, but, um, you know, I think mostly what I what I saw, you know, it was mostly the guys on defense that and with Staley's background on defense and he's going to be one the one running the defense. And we saw what he did with the Rams last right. year. You know, I, th- I think that's where, you know, you, you can feel like, hey, if, if these guys can all stay on the field, they have a chance to be really good. I mean, offense gets a little a little bit different with the offensive line and some of the issues that could develop if there's some injuries. But I think on defense. Uh, I mean, I think there's plenty of reasons to be excited uh, for a lot of those guys on defense, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. I, I cannot wait to see Derwin James in this defense, in this role. And, you know, Chris Harry always points it out, right? Like him and Joey Bosa have played, I don't know what the exact number is, like 11 games together in the last three years. So it's just going to be yeah. amazing to watch for those two to finally get on the field together at once. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think there's big, big potential there. We all know that. And it'll be, it'll be exciting. It's just, if, if they just hopefully can all get out there and stay out there for a while and just see where this thing goes. Yeah, just got to go out and do it. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the offense and the offensive line. Obviously, we didn't really get to see many starters. Um, I think like Josh Palmer and Rashawn Slater, and then you had know, a couple, you know, Matt Filer series that are here and there. Um, so we haven't really seen much of the offense and those who are going to be, you know, true contributors. Um, what do you think the the expectations are for uh, Joe Lombardi's first year as offensive coordinator and how he's kind of uh, melding the minds with Justin Herbert and, and the rest of his staff? Yeah, I, th- I think, the, you know, the expectations are, are going to be high when you have Justin Herbert as your quarterback and Keenan Allen as one of your wide receivers. And we saw what they did last year that instantly is going to set the bar pretty high. And I should mention, I mean, we we didn't see a lot of Rayshon, um, but what we did see was was good. It was really yeah. encouraging, really promising. So um, I think that part of it, uh, people can be excited about, too. Just the issue with him, we just didn't see a lot of it. You know, we you know, played the one game and then he. He was dealing with some some issues his back, and so he didn't even practice a whole lot. Didn't he missed those two joint practices with the 49ers, which would have been big to see him there. But um, what we've seen of him, that also uh, is another guy who who stood out when he was out there. But yeah, with with the offense, it, we all know, everyone knows. You don't need me to come on here to tell you this. Everyone knows it comes back to what the offensive line, right? And yeah. and those guys' ability to stay out there and 
I mean, I think we're already, you know, in camp the last couple of days uh, or practice, at least, I guess we're out of camp technically now, but we, you know, we're all debating is, is Brian Balaga, is he already hurt? Because he, he, he can't do a whole lot. He hasn't been doing much. I, I think uh, I asked all them already about, you know, is this a situation where we're, we're just not going to see him practice much all season. And, and Joe basically he said, yeah, you know, he's one of those guys where, you know, he needs, he needs the reps at that points but a lot of you know a lot of it is muscle memory at this point he doesn't he doesn't really need to be out there doing a whole lot so um even when he's healthy and even when he's available i don't know that he's going to be practicing a ton i think um he's one of these guys he's gonna i would be shocked if he's not on the initial injury report maybe (laughs) maybe he won't be next week but i think it's almost going to be inevitable that he's going to be on something um and you know it's 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 unfortunate because he's uh you know he's a good guy and i think everyone you know, everyone will acknowledge he's, he seems like a pro's pro and all that. We and he's obviously had some great seasons in Green Bay, but he's got a lot of a lot of mileage on him. And it just it's going to be one of those things. Even when he's out there playing, and and even when he is, you know, as healthy as he's going to be, it's still going to be a day to day thing with him, just because he, he had a back issue last year, and yeah. he said himself that you know that can come back at any point. You know, you can you can wake up wrong, or you know, get out of your chair the wrong way, yeah. get out of your car the wrong way. And he's, he's fighting that again. So um, it's it's uh, it's all about staying healthy and it's all about uh, the right tackle staying healthy to begin with. And if that doesn't happen, now we're on to plan B. And, and we, uh, you know, that might not be so uh, <laughs> might not be so good for the Chargers. And all of a sudden now they've got to, you know, they've got to compromise some things to try to, try to make up for that loss. So uh, it, it's going to come down to that offensive line again. I know people hate hearing that, but that's just the reality of it. Yeah, and for those who missed the uh, press conference with Joe Lombardi, he did say that Storm Norton is going to be, you know, that guy, uh, and that they would prefer not to insert, you know, Brendan Hymas and kick Matt Filer out to tackle. They want it to be a, a clean one for one and not have to move a lot of pieces around. Um, but let's let's talk about that Week One matchup against Washington. I think obviously a lot of their offense is kind of up in the air in terms of. Ryan Fitzpatrick and like I think he's an upgrade but you never really know with him because <laughs> he'll go out there one game and have three interceptions the next game he'll throw six touchdowns like it's just kind of wild um and you mentioned the offensive line which of course is is a big thing but I want to specifically focus on like the first quarter of the season because I think we've heard so many times all these coaches they want to win the first quarter of the season they win each quarter and then they kind of you know build from there so what do you expect from the first the first quarter of the season for the Chargers? And do you think like they can legitimately start out of the gate hot, or should we expect kind of a slow start while they while they work through the scheme and everything like that? Yeah, I think uh, my anticipation, you know, they didn't none of those guys played. You know, the offensive guys, especially you know, very few of them played as starters um, uh, during the preseason as we talked about, and you know, none of the skill guys, you know, other than the rookies, really played uh, in, the, in the preseason. So. You know, there there might be a little bit of a you know knock the rust off, but that I don't think that's gonna last for long. I I don't uh, you know last year you know Justin Herbert adjusted pretty quickly himself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm I'm thinking that we the you know history tells us that that shouldn't be a major issue. I mean, it, you know, it shouldn't last um, you know very deep into that first game. I wouldn't think, but uh, you know, it, it's interesting because they uh, you know that first game. At Washington, we all know Washington's defense is expected to be great, and they're they're going to be a handful 
even if that offensive line is 100% healthy, it's going to be a challenge. And then Fitzpatrick is just who knows with him. Yeah, if he's <laughs> yeah. hot, he's as good as – he literally is as, almost as good as any quarterback in the league. If he's not, he can be as bad as any quarterback in the league. So a right. lot of it could just depend on how he plays. If he gets, in a, he gets into it and starts going – he can really, you know, he can win games. Uh, I don't say by himself, but he can certainly be very instrumental in winning games. So that's a little tricky. Uh, just a few, you know, there's a lot of X factors in that first game. And on top of it, also just being the first game and not knowing what any of this is really going to look like. Um, but, it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, you know, the first six games are interesting because yeah. they, it, there's ways of looking at it and, and saying, hey, those are really tough games. And they could be really good, and they could play really well, and still only win two games. Well, also the other side of it is how many times we've heard about how the Cowboys are going to be great, and you know, and yeah, you know, so Cowboys game two, you know, Chargers, you know, I look at them and think they, you know, Chargers probably should win that game. I mean, I, you know, I, I could, I don't think that's necessarily a loss. I think the game in Washington, that's a game, you know, that Chargers certainly could win, and probably they probably should win. Despite all those, you know, moving parts that we we talked about, you know, yeah. so, you know, and then what the third game is, is what Kansas City? Do I have it in right yeah. order? It's, yep. You know, obviously we know that is uh is going to be that's gonna be that's going to be tough. You know, we all know we all know how tough that's going to be. That's just the way it is. It's a, you know you're playing against the you know one of the top three or three teams in the in the league. No question about that. And then the fourth game, help me out, is uh, back at home. Game. The Raiders, okay, Raiders Monday, Monday night, football, yeah. right? Monday night game. So, you know, it's uh, that again. You think, oh, it's the Raiders Monday night, but yeah, it's the Raiders. Yeah, does anyone think the division Raiders games, are going to be yeah. great? You know, but you know, it is a division game. It is a Monday night, but again, I look at that and think, I don't care if that stadium is you know seventy percent Raider fans. Like, you know, the Chargers should win that game. Just sitting here a month away or what, five weeks away, whatever it is, I, I look at that and think that's a game the Chargers probably should win. So we'll see by the time we get there. But, you know, so I guess what I'm saying is I think they have a chance to start off better than a lot of people. You know, a lot of the a lot of people are thinking this is could be a really rough start. Uh, you know, I, I think they have a chance to, uh, to actually get off to a pretty decent start. Now, maybe, you know, maybe that's two and two. Maybe it's three and one. Uh, I, I think, you know, either of those are very I, I mean, I think you could certainly make the argument. Let me put it that way, that they could be three and one. And I don't think it's crazy to think that now I mean, said all that they'll be one and three and. And you'll never have me back on here. <laughs> well, we hope to have you back on anytime, Jeff. You're always welcome here. Um, but obviously, I, I I do agree, right? Like the the Chargers' window of opportunity or window of, of you know the variety that they could have this year really is, is quite drastic. Because like even though the Chiefs are great, like I wouldn't be shocked if the Chargers went in there and won. I also wouldn't be shocked if they lost to the Cowboys. Like. You just you never know with a team that's rebuilding like this and re or not rebuilding, retooling rather. Um, so it really could go either way in those first six games, in my opinion. Yeah, and the, you said it. I mean, the, I was telling uh, someone just the other day. I mean, these guys could win twelve games; they could win five games. I don't think either anywhere in between there. It's all possible. And there's a lot of teams in the NFL like that. I mean, yeah. there, you know, there's a handful of really good teams. There's a handful of bad teams, and then a lot of teams in the middle. And you know, you know how this league is. It comes down to you staying healthy, having your depth. If you guys get hurt, how they play, and then winning, getting a couple of breaks, and winning some close games at the end. And it's it's really kind of it's a quirky league that way. And, and, but it literally comes down to that stuff. And I don't want to say it's yeah. all luck because it's not that. 
but there is an element of luck to it that, you know, we saw in 2018, these guys won a bunch of clubs games and they went to the playoffs. And in the last couple of years, they lost all those same games and they ended up, you know, the bottom, you know, in the bottom of the standings one year and then kind of in the middle last year. So um, I think they're, that's what these guys are. They're, they're, they're anywhere in a, you know, there's a wide range, as you said, that where these guys could, could finish. And you can look at almost every one of their games and say, and make an argument that they could win, they could win or lose this game. And almost every one of them, you could make, make a, a valid argument either way. Yeah. Absolutely. And obviously we're, we're hoping that they, they win more games than they lose this year. So um, great stuff here from Jeff Miller, Chargers fans, make sure and give him a follow on Twitter at Jeff Miller, LAT uh, had a great article today about the Chargers latest moves, including the signing of Trey Marshall from the Broncos. Uh, Jeff, thanks for joining me, man. Oh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So let's get into some news and notes before we jump into the AFC tiers and some other things that change our mind throughout the preseason. Um, first and foremost, Ryan Smith was activated off the COVID list. Um, and in a corresponding move, the Chargers waived Kimon Hall. I know there was some speculation, particularly by you know us, that the Chargers could potentially look at placing Ryan Smith on injured reserve. They could still do that, um, and then he would have to miss the first three games at least. Uh, but for now, it looks like he is back at practice, so we have not received a, a true update on the core injury, and we hope to do that soon. So uh, Tyler, what'd you make of the decision to kind of keep Kimon Hall around and then wave him in favor of Ryan Smith? Uh, it was expected is what all of us, all three of us thought was going to happen, that they were going to activate yeah. him at some point and Hall would go down. I was hoping Hall would stick around, but again, they want to keep other guys. So it is what it is. So all of it is just expected and it's solid timing for the team. I think now he's available for what they brought him in for. And it just adds some veteran leadership to a group that is experiencing a lot of turnover. So Happy to have him around. I hope he lives up to what they signed him for. Yeah, you know, I I think it does kind of stink for Marilyn Hall to have the exhilaration yeah. of making the 53-man roster and then, you know, be told that, hey, you're going to the practice questions a little easier. Uh, in, in an orderly fashion, I, I would like that. But uh, I, I like the idea of Ryan Smith. I mean, you have to have him on the roster just for special teams, right? I mean, that's what Staley's been saying for the last 
month in pretty much every interview. You need him uh, as kind of special teams gunner, if you will. And uh, that's pretty much it. Like, you know, Kamon Hall, I think, was the most consistent of those sort of lower tier corners on the roster in the preseason. Um, and so that's why he kind of deserved to make the roster. But ultimately, I don't think there was a justification to be made for uh, keeping him over uh, Ryan Smith. And, you know, I think they're better right now at corner anyway, because they do have six. At first, they had seven on the roster, which is like, okay, this is overkill. But then they wave face on and they uh, bring in Marshall from Denver. And I was like, okay, this makes sense. So I think the roster makes a little bit more sense now after a lot of these moves. Um, right. And I'm excited to see what Ryan Smith can do in special teams. Yeah, the the balance of corners and safety was always an interesting thing for me because, you know, you look at, you know, the other places where this Vic Fangio style defense has been. And they've almost, almost always have had like an equal balance of like five safeties, five corners. And then they kind of just rotate people around. So like, you know, with Chris Harris playing multiple positions and, you know, Trey Marshall playing multiple positions and Mark Webb playing multiple positions. So it just was kind of interesting to me that like you were looking at six or seven corners and four safeties. Now it's, you know, even at five and, uh, and six more even, I should say. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, too, is just kind of the special teams conversation here, because, you know, Brandon Faison was their leading special teams tackler last year and he's on the practice squad now. And so they really have overhauled the, the entire unit. Of course, we'll see, you know, with Tristan Viscaino or Viscaino. Um, Daniel Popper is Viscaino, by the way. He did say that on his YouTube show. So it uh, looks like we're all rolling with Viscaino from now on. Um, but I was listening to the Athletic Football Show, and Robert Mays and Mike Sando were talking about the Arizona Cardinals special teams unit. Um, and I did tweet this, but I wanted to bring it up here, just kind of get your guys' thoughts as well, because – um, Jeff Rogers is their special teams coordinator. He's been there since 2018. He was with the Chicago Bears before that, and he was with the uh, Denver Broncos before that. Um, and his star pupil the entire time essentially has been Darius Swinton. So in between the jobs where Swinton was uh, special teams coordinator for the Niners and, and I think someone else, he was working with Jeff Rogers. And the point that was made on the, the athletic football show was that the Previous year, before they hired Jeff Rogers, the Cardinals were tied for 29th in special teams DVO rankings. Like, they were bottom of the league pretty consistently, as have the Chargers been. And in Rogers' first year in Arizona, they went all the way up to 11th in special teams DVOA. They've, they've hovered kind of between that 8 to 15 range uh, pretty consistently over the last three years. And so I was just kind of, like, thinking about it. Like, realistically, how far up can the Darius Swinton take this unit in his first season because you know everything is different except for Ty Long you know every other person that's going to play special teams is different you know you can make obviously for game neighbors too but you have different gunners you have a different kicker you have a different long snapper everything on this team has been kind of overhauled so I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on basically how much can this team improve in Darius Winton's first year um, Tyler we'll start with you on that one first that's a tough one to gauge because I just haven't seen enough yet. Not enough live reps. Ryan Smith is just now getting activated. It's hard to tell exactly how far they can go. But I will say they are going to go as far as they possibly could this season, whether that's 10 spots, 28 spots, whatever. I think they're going to go as far as they can because they spent a lot of time at training camp on special teams. And then they spent a lot of money or added a lot of players or kept a lot of players 
who are basically there to be backups, but also just special teams guys. And so I've, I don't think I've ever seen a team focus so hard on special teams in one year with all of this turnover, all these additions. So I do think they can go as far as they possibly can. I just don't know how far that is just yet because I don't really have any way to gauge them yet because I haven't seen a consistent unit. I haven't seen the same players on the field at the same time for an entire game. Half those guys that we saw in the preseason are gone. Vizcaino, I don't know what to make of him, but I do think uh, I do think he'll give them a boost in special teams DVOA. I don't know how the field goal kicking will do, but I do think the kickoff returns will be a little bit better just because he's that much more powerful of a leg. So we'll see how it turns right. out, but I, I can't gauge how far they're going to go. But I do know that they will go as far as they possibly can because they've placed so much emphasis on the special teams unit. I tend to think they'll have a better second half of the season when it comes to special teams than first half, um, just because it seems like they're still going to be experimenting with things, right? I mean, if you look at KJ sure. Hill, for example, they've said, hey, KJ Hill's our starting punt returner, but you pretty much heard every reporter say, well, they say that, but we'll see how long that lasts, right? Right. Um, you know, if he's not good, then they'll replace him with somebody else. You have like three guys who are in, uh, in contention to kick return. We think it's going to be Nasir Adderley, but you also have Larry Roundtree in the mix and other guys. So I think from a return standpoint, you look at them and just say that's kind of a lot of stuff up in the air. Um, as far as punt coverage and kick coverage, I thought punt coverage looked very rough in the preseason, but that's also because it's supposed to, right? Like, you know, it's time to get those iron those issues ironed out now as opposed to later. Um, and so, plus, you know, a lot of the guys who should be on special teams, you know, weren't playing by the time we hit week three. Right. Right. Uh, so I think that that's important to note as well. Um, so, you know, it, it's kind of a mystery. A, a lot of it obviously hinges on how uh, this guy, you know, is as a field goal kicker, if he's going to be consistent throughout the whole year and at least, you know, hit 80% of his field goals, then, you know, the outlook for the special teams hits at least top 15 in the league. If you know he's gonna get cut after week six, then you know <laughs> it's gonna plummet. Through, it's gonna plummet pretty significantly. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of gonna be one major turning point. Um, but I, I think the big areas are going to be punt coverage and specifically returning. And like Tyler said, I just don't know if we know enough as of now. Obviously, Staley has put a priority on special teams, and every reporter has talked to death about you know the focus he puts on that in practice more so than Anthony Lynn or really any previous Chargers coach. Um, so, you know, I'm curious to see what it'll be like, but it's also, you know, still too early to tell what the actual quality will be, even though Staley has put this emphasis on it. Yeah, I feel in, in terms of the improvement, I feel pretty similarly about, you know, the offensive line and the special teams where I think like at minimum, they'll be kind of in like the low twenties range in DVOA for offensive line. You know, you can talk about all the different kind of rankings and metrics there are, but I feel pretty comfortable that those units will be kind of hovering around the low 20s with the potential to be more than that. Like if Brian Belaga plays 14, 15, 16, 17 games, like the offensive line is going to be better, right? Um, and same with the special teams. Like I think they'll be kind of in that low 20s range. But if Tristan Vizcaino is the kicker who Darius Swinton believes he is going to be, then the Chargers special team ceiling is that much higher. So um, it was just an interesting thing because, Jeff, like you look at all these coaches and how kind of, the trickle down effect that happens with, you know, their proteges. And I, I was just kind of interested in seeing like, okay, so Darius Winden has been with Jeff Rogers for six, seven years. And Jeff Rogers has had all this great success in Chicago and now Arizona. 
Um, and I think there, I think we all agree that Darius Winton is definitely an upgrade over uh, George Stewart and seems like a very significant one. Um, but yeah, I was just curious about your guys' thoughts there. So um, the other thing I wanted to talk about, or we wanted to talk about rather, was the Chargers selection of their team captains. Um, just going down the list, they have Keenan Allen, Joey Bosa, Austin Eckler, Justin Herbert, Derwin James, Linval Joseph, Corey Lindsley, and Ty Long as the special teams captain. So um, a bunch of people have been commenting, right? Like a lot of teams do five, some teams do eight. The Chargers have Chargers have eight, right? One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, the Chargers have eight. <laughs> um, so that's kind of a newer thing. But uh, Alex, we'll start with you. What'd you make of the Chargers selection of their team captains this year? Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that they selected eight, they don't have to select a specific number. It's just, you know, whoever gets the most votes in that team meeting, right? And whoever meets a certain threshold. Um, so, you know, I think the fact that they have all those guys that they believe in is good. Justin Herbert making it in his second year is cool. Uh, somebody like Corey Lindsley making it in his first year on the team, uh, I think is really noteworthy. Uh, and then, of course, you have Austin Eckler and Derwin James and the guys who uh, are sort of, you know, next man up in terms of leadership, right? Because we look at what it was last year, right? It was Tyrod Taylor, Marquise Pouncey, Hunter Henry, Casey Hayward, Melvin Ingram as the captain. Uh, five guys who were veterans with the Chargers for, for quite a long time and five guys who are no longer here. Um, and so that yeah. sort of led to this power vacuum where you just have guys that are going to naturally become the leaders on the team one way or another. And I think you saw it, right? Like the average fan wouldn't say, hey, Ty Long is a leader, right? In the way that we think of maybe Derwin James, but a lot of guys right. respect him in the locker room, right? And so that's why, you know, he's on there. Um, and you know, you think about Austin Eckler and Justin Herbert in, in that way as well. So uh, I am pretty okay with this captain's list. It seems kind of like the guys most people would select. And, you know, we'll talk about Justin Herbert's uh, Mina Kimes article in a minute. But, you know, I do think there's that kind of quiet, you know, leadership nature where, you know, you guys have guys like Bosa and Herbert who are more introverted, but, you know, can still lead the team and rally the guys. I love seeing Ty Long make it. Um, I think he deserves it just for surviving and still having a pulse after last year's blocking. But <laughs> I think the team really did respect him last year after he, I believe, yeah. was a pretty vocal guy during the social movement and social change was, movements yeah. and whatnot. And so obviously that held a lot of weight in the team. And for him to go from you know just the punter to a captain of the team is really cool. And so good for him. I think that's really cool. I love seeing Eckler make the list because... I think Lynn was trying to push him towards that leadership role. At some point, I think he made a speech to the team, if not at least the rookies. And he's always talking to undrafted free agents. Hey, here's what you need to do. Here's what I did. Hang in there, yada, yada. So it's nice to see Eckler actually become a captain. And overall, I think like Alex pointed out, they've tended to go either old heads or maybe just only vocal rah-rah leaders before. But I do think they have a good mix now of lead, you know, rah-rah guys, sure, vocal guys, sure, but also lead by example guys like Joey Bosa. We've seen him be very loud. We've seen him against the Bills be absolutely violent and loud and, and ridiculous, but he is right. typically a more reserved guy. This is a guy who loves to kind of just take guys to the side. Hey, do this, try this, whatever, one-on-one -on -one sort of things, and then lead by example on the field. Same thing with Herbert, Mr. Cart Putbacker. He is not exactly <laughs> the loudest guy, but you know what? He leads by example, and I love that. So the team has a really, really good mix. I love that they have eight captains. And really, you could see seven or eight Pro Bowl players on this list as it's like every guy 
is deserving. Like the Raiders, they have their fullback as one of the captains. I'm not saying he's not a good leader, <laughs> but like I don't think that guy's going to make the Pro Bowl anytime soon. Right. Uh, so we'll see. But so it's really cool to see eight Chargers who are very deserving for either their play or how who they are as leaders. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to your point about Ty Long, you know, typically like, like every team selects a special teams captain, right? But even then, like the special teams guys are generally kind of like isolated from the team. But you, Ty Long is everywhere. Like during practice, he's up around, you know, he's talking with the defense, he's talking with the offense. He, you know, he really does a great job of like making sure that he's a part of the team, which goes a long way. Uh, of course, you mentioned the social justice thing. You know, he was one of, I think he was like, the second or th- no, not the second. He was like the third or fourth guy when the Chargers had the canceled scrimmage. Tylon was one of the guys who talked on TV, so uh, it's pretty clear that they respect him. And you know, I- I'm happy for him. I think I'm pretty sure he was a captain last year, so I think he's the only holdover from last year, if I'm not mistaken. No, I, I don't think he was. No, it was just uh, Henry Ingram, Pouncey, Tyrod. Uh, don't remember the fifth one off the top. Of my- I just said the fifth one, and I've already forgotten it. Well, I know the Casey Hayward was one. He wasn't captain last week. Maybe he just yeah, was Casey like Hayward, a, that's the fifth one. Mm-hmm. Maybe Ty Long was just like a game captain or a couple times then or something like that. Um, anyways, maybe. regardless, happy for him. And I do agree. I like the balance of kind of like the introverts and the loud guys. Like I think Austin Eckler and Linval Joseph are probably going to be like the rah-rah guys this year. You know, and of course, Derwin James. And then you have, you know, even Keenan Allen's a little bit introverted too. You know, he's... He talks some trash, but he's not, he's never really been like the rah rah leader type, I think. So I think they have a good balance of, of guys like that as well. Um, and then like the Justin Herbert thing is so funny to me because everything we heard in the leading up to the draft is that he's not a good leader. He, he can't lead a locker room, he can't command a, a team. And then he's a captain in his second year. So um, I don't, I don't think it was this way, but I love that, you know, it, it was kind of a, another suck it message to everybody else who who has doubted him that you know he gets to be a team captain in year two so a uh, big fan of that decision as well real quick steven to your point long was a captain it looks like in october he became a captain so that's okay. possibly because of injuries or something but oh, uh, just okay. one quick note from the uh the article from chris harry it says that since the day that they had that canceled scrimmage long was in weekly meetings with lynn and several of his teammates to discuss how they can enact positive change he's also he's also doing his part to enhance the lives of children with special needs, which is true. If you look at his charities, he absolutely does yeah. that. So a really great guy to that deserves a, a captain role for sure. There we go. All right. Let's talk about that Mina Kimes article, which was really fantastic. It, it, it definitely, you know, was a longer profile, but ple- like highly recommend you go check out the whole thing. Um, of course, everybody who has read it is, is kind of having fun with the uh, whole grocery cart thing between him and Gabe neighbors, which apparently is the only time that Justin Herbert has, uh, you know, lost his temper, if you will. Um, But I just think it was so cool to see, you know, we've seen a a few national articles about the Chargers this year. Robert Mays had another one about um, the Chargers offense. But to do, to have such an in-depth profile like this for Justin Herbert, I think really does volumes for the team and for his own brand, right? I think Mina Kimes did such a great job of outlining who he is and how he can be successful both at, on the field and off the field. And everybody kind of focused in on the grocery cart thing. But the other thing that really kind of stood out to me is when they were at the golf tournament 
and they all the all the Chargers players are up, you know, doing a karaoke song, and Justin Herbert just kind of like fades back into the background, and then I think she said it was Scott Questenberry like grabbed him and put him back in the front. So um, it was a good day for introverts, man, and I think it really just shined, you know, a very positive note on who Justin Herbert is. Yeah, and I think one of the big things, you know, first we I guess we should start with the grocery cart thing. Uh, I'm sorry to Justin Herbert, but I completely side with Gabe Neighbors uh, in that debate uh, of shopping carts. Uh, <laughs> look, so some supermarkets, I think the case is that there are those like shopping cart holders like in the parking lot, but the ones yeah. that make you walk like all the way back and they don't have the right. shopping cart holders. Listen, in theory, I should be like a Justin Herbert, but in practice, I'm very much a game neighbors in that regard, and I will not apologize for it. Um, so uh, in terms of the article takeaways, I really like the section where Keenan Allen was um, comparing him with Philip Rivers yeah. and, you know, how Philip Rivers was kind of yelling every play, but just how Justin Herbert is is different um, in that regard, right? And that is still, you know, two different kinds of leadership, right? And like we mentioned with the, the rah-rah guys and the introverts, um, I did think the part that was funny, which is something that we've all had to do, was the part where Mina tells Justin, hey, I'm sorry, I overlooked you because of the guys at Oregon. And, you know, you, yeah. it, you know, I had to run Burrow higher and he just like quietly was like, yeah, it was big of you to say that and it took a lot, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> so I thought that part of it was just like very quietly kind of cocky and funny. Um, but no, I mean, the whole article is really great. Uh, and there's some really great highlights to it, obviously, like Steven said, kind of a great day for introverts where, you know, you don't have to be kind of this you know, loud mouth like a lot of NFL quarterbacks are, particularly a lot of NFL receivers are like that. Um, and, and, you know, so I, I think for quarterbacks to kind of or for people to kind of grow up with this guy that like maybe they can relate to whether they're a Chargers fan or not, um, I think is kind of cool. I'm on team. Put your freaking shopping cart back. I love <laughs> jumping not. on the shopping cart. What the heck is wrong with you, man? Not only okay, putting it back is good anyway because it helps other people out. And also, yeah. don't you hate turning into a spot where there's a cart right there? It's like, uh, you gotta back out and you gotta go to the next spot because a stupid cart in the way. Hate that. Yeah, but I do it but to hey, somebody man. else. I hate when it's done to me. I see, <laughs> I'm an asshole. <laughs> Well, pay it forward, Alex. Fine. You are yeah. the heel. That's fine. But there's nothing more fun than throwing your fiance in the cart and then running and then jumping on the cart and then like, yeah, like going down like you're five years old again. Anyway, um, so I'm team put cart back. Although I think Herbert seems a little bit extreme with this, some of his uh, yeah. cleanliness and cleanliness and whatnot. I don't think I could be friends with him for very long. Not that I'm very messy. It's just I couldn't stand someone who's like, everything has to be super clean. So, yeah. but, you know, that's the way it is. He's a He's a you know 4.01 GPA guy, bio major, uh, offensive rookie of the year. So it's working for him so far. So maybe I should try to be more clean as well. Uh, I do like the the part like like Alex mentioned about you know people not taking so much con of the context of what Justin Herbert was was is experiencing at Oregon into account in their evaluation. To me, especially with how little I was able to study, it was just okay. Here's you know half a dozen games. Here's what I see. Yada yada. That's the grade that I gave him. But you know, so much context goes into it. And then also just even with like Chris Rumpf, I also have to take into account where they can go, where they can develop. Yeah. Because with Chris Rumpf, you know, the whole thing was I wasn't a super fan of, of the college stuff. And if you watch him against Notre Dame, he was getting killed. But you see what he could potentially do. And in the right situations, he could become good. Of course, what does he do? Works out with Khalil Mack, learns from Joey Bosa and gets drafted by Brandon Staley. And of course, now you see that he's starting to hopefully become 
you know, better than he ever really possibly could be. So same thing with Herbert. Yeah, there were certain, you know, deficiencies. He wasn't getting past his first read. There were certain issues. But then the, the summer comes. And what, is, what do great players do? They work hard. They get better. And, of course, he got much, much better. And then suddenly week two happens. And here we are. So uh, it definitely changed my evaluation process for sure. That's why I think I can think more highly of someone like a Justin Fields, where, I mean, he was great anyway, but I think some people that were taking away from him and just focusing on what he can't do, I think you want to focus on what they can do and what they could potentially could do if they're good players. So, uh, yeah, Herbert, the whole Herbert experience has been a quite a change for all of us uh, as yeah. fans, as evaluators, um, and maybe as people, because I mean, now we will advocate for more <laughs> cart pushing back. Yeah, now we're all going to go put our cards back where they belong. No. I, I agree. I, I'm on team putting cards back uh, as well. But you're right, Tyler. Like, I think the Justin Hayward experience has definitely changed things for me. And it was just a really needed refresher that the sport of football in general is progressive. You know, I, I was saying on Twitter, like the University of Utah, uh, of course, had to talk about my, my guys. But, you know, they were struggling to in the first half to kind of put Weber State away. And everybody on Twitter, Utah Twitter, was like freaking out. Like, this team is trash. We're going to lose to Oregon. We're going to lose to USC. Like, all of our goals are shot. And it's like, no, like, that's not the case, especially for college teams. Like, you, there is growth that happens throughout the season for these teams. And the same thing for, you know, players who are going into the NFL. Like, growth happens if they can land in the right spot, which is, you know, kind of what I forgot about Chris Rump. And so – or Chris Rump, excuse me. So there is this – definitely this culture of like who these players are is who they are going to be. And that's just not the case. And so the Justin Herbert thing, Chris Rumpf, like it, it's good refreshers for everybody to realize like these people can make progress just like anybody else. Like all of us can start a new job and we make progress or all of us can, you know, uh, get a second degree or, you know, get a promotion and we make progress. And it's the same thing with football players. Um, so that was a good reminder. And I loved his quote about leadership. Like you don't have to be the rah-rah guy to be a good leader. You know, the, at the end of the day, this is me paraphrasing, but I loved how basically he was saying, people just want to see you be your, your authentic self. And that really is what it comes down to. And so I know, you know, me and Tyler kind of grew up in, in this football culture of like, everybody has to be a macho man and everybody has to be a yeller. And I'm so glad that we're moving away from that kind of culture and allowing someone like Justin Herbert, who is not ever going to be a rah-rah guy. He's not ever going to be the, the guy who's going to tough it out through, you know, an ACL injury or things like that. I'm so glad we're moving past that. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in what LT said in his hall of fame speech, where like football is a microcosm of America. Like, like everybody can come together on a football team or at least should be able to come together on a football team and have a role and have a place where they feel like they can belong. And so really reading about Justin Herbert's mentality as a leader, like I really, it really resonated with me. And I, I'm so glad that uh, the Chargers have him and that football is in a place where we can accept a player like him. Yeah. Well said, Steven. I just wanted to say, uh, in terms of the haircuts thing, I totally agree with Justin <laughs> Herbert. That is yes. where I will side with him. Yes. <laughs> Only three haircuts a year at max, and uh, they have You're to be crazy. crazy. <laughs> no. Oh, and, my goodness. And also, you don't put your shopping cart back. Oh, <laughs> but, my goodness. Also, Stephen, I think that was a very powerful anecdote you just made. But it's still a seven out of ten because you shoehorned you you shoehorned Utah in there, so I have to I'm take sorry. some points off. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I'll take a seven out of ten, and I will. Um, but definitely agree about the haircuts. When I was in high school and college, 
my best friend Ciale would cut our hair when we were in high school. We would go up to our locker room like before or after practice, and he would have cut our hair for free. And it wasn't that great. He's become a barber now, so he's a great haircutter. But I am mm. definitely on the side of don't pay for haircuts unless you absolutely have to. So um, shout out to that one as well. But uh, not your strength and conditioning coach, man, and not if you're a professional athlete. <laughs> for what it's worth and tying everything in together, haircuts and Herbert. Haircuts, uh, my hairstylist does Herbert's agent's wife's hair. So tying everything together there. Wait, Herbert's wife's hair? Herbert's agent's wife's hair. Okay. Okay. I was like, oh. wait, Herbert's not married. We're, we're plugged in, man. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Any other final thoughts here before we move on to uh, our, you know, more broad conversations today? No. Great. So we'll move on and we're going to talk about some things that the preseason and training camp has changed for us. And then we'll wrap up our show today talking about uh, how we view the AFC as a whole and kind of put teams in tiers. Um, so I'll start with something that changed for me in the preseason uh, and training camp is really kind of the aggressive nature of the linebackers. And so I, that was mm-hmm. something that I was very mm-hmm. curious about watching unfold for this team because Brandon Staley didn't really have any solid linebackers last year with the Rams. And so I was kind of curious to see if they would play more of kind of like a helper role and kind of be like cleanup crew. But the preseason and training camp really kind of focused in that they're going to be aggressive. They're going to be playing downhill. And of course, you know, Kenneth Murray kind of alluded to that a while back, but you know, really seeing it person uh, it was very impressive and even Nick Neiman and Eamon Ogbongwamiga got to be aggressive and blitz and play downhill and do all these things. So it, it seems like the linebackers are going to be more of a playmaking role as opposed to kind of the cleanup role, which is what we are used to over the last few years uh, with Gus Bradley. So um, that necessarily didn't like change my mind, but it really kind of, you know, gave me a, a new lens of how the linebackers are going to be used uh, this year for the Chargers. Yeah, I mean, for me, I would say the biggest thing that changed for me is how I feel about the preseason uh, and specifically how I feel about the offseason as a whole with Staley's program, right? Um, The Chargers are entering the season as the healthiest team, uh, and I think that that is somewhat intentional with what they've done. Cross your fingers. Um, But, you know, for me, when, when we started the preseason, I was like, you know what? I want Herbert to play a drive. I want Herbert to play a series, maybe even a quarter, right? Um, yeah. And see Eckler out there for at least a drive, maybe a quarter, same thing. Um, but I think after seeing how this preseason played out, where you had a lot of guys like Larry Roundtree and all of the rookies kind of get their experience share um, and, and get everything that they you know needed out of this preseason, Plus, none of your top line guys are really hurt right now. Um, And then you compare that to, you know, the Ravens going hard in every preseason game. uh, And J.K. Dobbins is now out for the season, unfortunately. Right. So, you know, obviously a lot of it is luck, you know, just because someone tears their ACL or does the knee doesn't mean that wouldn't have happened before. Right. Um, Derwin James Mm -hmm. hurt himself in a scrimmage, not a game. Same thing with Joey Bosa a couple of years ago. But um, I, I think the health and conditioning thing definitely changed my mind towards playing the starters in the preseason just because, um, and, you know, maybe maybe this will be different after we see the first few regular season games. They always could right. look rough. Um, that's always possible. 
But I think getting to week one healthy was just such a, you know, goal that we hadn't seen this team at before um, that, you know, it, it did sort of change my mind in the long term and how I'm going to think about, you know, preseasons in the future, um, regardless of who the coach is, who the GM is, you know, et cetera. Yeah, assuming Ryan Smith still counts as part of that list, because I think it came out September 2nd, the Chargers have two players that are either on like the COVID list, IR or NFI list or PUP list. And the NFL average is 7.1, I believe, from that list. So I've, I don't think I've ever <laughs> remembered a year where the Chargers were not just healthy or kind of healthy, the healthiest team in the league. And it's, I think most teams are, like I said, 7.1 average. Some teams are in like the 14, 15 guys on yeah. the on the injured reserve or whatever lists so to see the chargers there i mean yeah derwin james at 85 percent ready 50 percent ready is still better than no offense alohi gilman 100 percent ready and so just <laughs> having just having yeah. derwin james out there and again so it's been I, I did the math i did the calculation it's like 1200 something days since they drafted derwin james and for the first time ever they're going to have derwin james and joey bosa on the field in week one since in 1200 days since they've drafted him and they're finally going to be able to do that which is amazing um to steven's point about the linebackers i kind of assumed they would sort of be the weak part or at least maybe the riskiest or most worrisome group because of the injuries because all three of them either had a season ending injury or suffered some sort of injuries or had off-season surgery and so you couldn't really trust those guys and that's kind of still true but they are so much fun to watch. And I never thought that the the defense, which would I thought would be so defensive back heavy, would just be so linebacker strong. Like now they are the playmakers. Now they are the, the yeah. spark in this defense. And sure, that'll change with injuries. But I didn't expect that. And that's just a huge credit to Staley with going, listen, right now, I don't have every defensive back that I want and need. I don't have John Johnson. I don't have uh, what Hall. What's the other guy's name? Troy Hill. Hill. Excuse me. Troy Hill. Excuse me. You know, I don't have these guys right now. Or maybe he thinks he does, but we haven't seen it yet. So what do I have? I have a lot of really good, fast, physical, athletic linebackers, and I'm going to use them. And you see that in the preseason, even with a bunch of backups, you know, Nick Neeming, Eamon Ogbang, Bamiga, Cole Christensen, I think they blitzed like 12 times in the preseason or something like that, which seems unheard of to me. And, and just showing <laughs> that in the preseason, I'm so yeah. excited to see what they do with true elite athletes. Kenneth Murray, Kaiser White, Drew Tranquil. Not that Neiman and those guys aren't, but I mean like some real gosh dang starting linebackers. So can't wait to watch those guys. And what's changed for me is kind of tied into those linebackers. I did not expect the run defense to be as good as it currently is. Now on the yeah. flip side, I'm worried about the offense rushing the ball a little bit because I thought they would be better, yet they've averaged 3.3 yards per attempt this preseason. Now we have not seen the starters. And again, I guess like Alex, I would rather sit them figure it out in the regular season but i didn't get to see them you know starters with the running backs and the running backs can only go as well as the offensive line does and so it's kind of it's very hard to evaluate you know who was kind of good who was kind of eh, because they didn't really get that fair crack and then in the, at the scrimmage they averaged 1.9 yards per attempt with the starters so i don't know but again that is a huge credit to the the linebackers and the run defense as a whole i, I thought that would be the weakness uh, it, i honestly think that could be their strength over yeah. pass coverage which is insane to me granted everybody stays healthy but for right now i did not expect the run defense to be as good as it currently looks the linebackers look amazing so that has definitely changed my mind and yeah that, that that's the that's the thing that changed my mind the most so far yeah that's a good call and i think you know this run defense like it really is going to be 
one of their strengths. And you look at the guys that they have, like it makes sense. Like you have Limbaugh Joseph, you have Justin Jones, you have Joey Bosa, you have Buchenna and Wosu, like all positive run defenders. And then you add, you know, the linebackers and Derwin James and, and Chris Harris, who's a good run defender too. So, I mean, it makes sense that the pieces are finally coming together, but that's just what needed to happen. Like they had talent, they had the run de- defenders previous years, but it just never really came together. Um, to the opposite side of that spectrum, though, I, I have definitely changed my mind about the Chargers pass rush because, like, in my head, I was picturing, you know, kind of a, another leap from Uchenna and Wosu. I was picturing a breakout season from Jerry Tillery. But it seems like more and more that we hear and watch that Kyler Fackrell is going to be that secondary pass rusher and that Justin Jones is going to be that defensive tackle at, at pass rushing presence i still think that jerry tillery can kind of be that guy who takes a step forward but you know daniel popper went as far to say that he thinks that justin jones is going to have eight sacks this year now i don't know the whole context of that conversation i haven't listened to it yet um it could have been like a bold prediction kind of thing and that's certainly what it seems like but you know justin jones has really been shining as a pass rusher and i'm sure that makes alex very happy to hear um and then i mentioned chris rump earlier like I was worried about this pass rushing depth. And now you have Kyler Fackrell kind of being the most disruptive pass rusher in preseason. You have Chris Rump really flashing some very positive signs of development to the point where, you know, he could play, you know, 15 to 20 snaps a game and kind of take on that Uchenna and Wosu role as that like third pass rusher. So in a positive way, like Fackrell and Rump were kind of like the biggest surprises for me. Um, but I am a little bit concerned about Wosu's role and kind of lack of development, if you will, as a pass rusher. I will say, you know, since I went with a positive, and if I'm going to go with a negative now, I've changed my mind on the wide receiver group a little bit, um, just because I don't think they're as deep as they previously were. Um, You know, the the focus on special teams, I think, is apparent throughout the roster, but K.J. Hill's basically not on this roster as a receiver, right, this year. (laughs) As a punt returner, I, it doesn't sound like he's going to line up at wide receiver a whole lot unless somebody gets injured. Uh, and then you have Keenan Allen, who missed you know two, really three games last year with a hamstring that was kind of nagging him. Not that I would call him injury prone because he had three you know full seasons before that, but he was getting a little bit older. Mike Williams has been in and out of the lineup. Um, that's something that yeah. I think is going, you know, and obviously didn't play any of this preseason was also in and out of practice with a hip flexor. Uh, so that's something that we need to see. Like this kind of needs to be a year where I don't think he needs to play all 16 games, but based on how they've constructed this receiving core, I think he at least needs to play 13 and 14, uh, and, you know, stay in the game the whole way through. Right. Um, so that's definitely something to note. Uh, and you know, I'm not going to go too much big on the Tyron Johnson thing again, but I think the fact that they did cut him and now they have these four receivers of which Jalen Guyton is sort of assuming that Tyron Johnson role where he's just kind of going to be your deep guy when they need speed on the field. You know, if he goes down now, your wide receiver group is suddenly a lot slower. Um, Josh Palmer is no slouch in terms of speed. But I don't think that he's really going to burn a guy downfield, although it's nice to see the confidence that they have in Palmer pretty much as, you know, your new wide receiver three uh, after all those months of debate, you know, the last two years on that kind of role. So 
I feel confident about Josh Palmer, but in terms of how the wide receiver group is currently constructed, I don't love it from a health standpoint, particularly with Mike Williams, and particularly because it really, to me, does hinge on Guyton in terms of speed. Also, he has had issues dropping the ball, and a lot of the reporters have noted that he still had those same issues uh, so far in training camp. So um, I would say I'm less positive on the wide receiver group because originally when we did do that 53-man roster prediction, I called it the deepest position on the roster. I yeah. don't quite feel that way anymore. And I don't really blame you. I mean, they're basically only keeping four wide receivers on the roster, and then punt returner is just another designation for the fifth guy. <laughs> like, they're really yeah. only keeping four wide receivers. Again, very, very strange move. I get it. I just don't know if I buy it all the way. I guess then in that same vein, I've sort of changed my mind on Jalen Guyton. I really thought that they could have brought in, well, Johnson or Palmer or somebody else to replace him as wide receiver three. I'm going to be the guy that just says, I think he is a deserving rightful wide receiver three at this time. And I didn't think I would say that, but I don't at the early in training camp, I think the first day he had a drop or two and it's like, here we go again. But I really (laughs) think he's just established himself as a pretty solid option. And maybe I'm, I don't know if biased is the right word, but having watched the scrimmage live, I that is in my head. I can't get that out of my head. Just how effective he was, how explosive right. he was on third and short. He was a go-to target on deep passes. He was a go-to target intermediate. He was a go-to target. And I just didn't expect that from him. He's come a lot further. Again, like we talk about development and everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people on social media, um, when I talk about guidance, say, Oh, well, He's the guy that dropped a lot of balls last year. He's the guy who can't run routes. All he does is run straight. But I really think the guy has evolved. So I've gone from basically thinking that two or three guys could replace him to I'm going to be potentially being the guy who champions him as wide receiver three. And I don't mean that he can never be replaced or, you know, upseated by, um, you know, Josh Palmer at some point. But for right now, I do think he is their best option. So good for him. He really changed my mind over the course of the offseason because he's really stepped up. And I did not expect that from him because I really thought he was just going to be the same, you know, body catcher, straight line guy that he, that he really was projected to be, but he's taken a nice step forward. And obviously because Tyron Johnson is no longer on the roster. Yeah. To the chargers, you know, to the point of the the deep receiver room, like I think we did see that in in training camp, right? Like Mike Williams is down and you see Jason Moore kind of being out there and taking that step forward. And of course, you know, Josh Palmer's development has been a huge help to that, to that as well as as Jalen Guyton's. And I do agree, like, you know, I was definitely, you know, championing Tyron Johnson as as to be that guy. And obviously I still wish he made the roster, but this team really likes Jalen Guyton and he has earned a role and he had, like Tyler said, he really has improved. So, you know, I'm uh, a little cautiously optimistic still because i i am still worried about the drops you know pop you know ringing their ringing the head there and you know having some negative impacts in games but Jalen guyton does definitely deserve some praise for how he has improved um all right to put a bow on this obviously there's been a ton of buzz and praise about the defense there's been a ton of buzz and praise about brandon staley but i kind of want to put a bow on this about joe lombardi and not necessarily if he's changed our mind but what have we learned and what has our impressions been of the way that he is kind of handling this second chance as an offensive coordinator? Um, and I, I think that's kind of, like I said, different conversation of if he's changed our mind or not. But uh, Alex, we'll start with you. What have you kind of learned about the way that Joe Lombardi is going to be doing things 
And do you think we'll be changing our minds eventually about the hiring of Joe Lombardi? To be honest, I feel like I haven't learned anything about Joe Lombardi this whole time. (laughs) Um, And that's partially because of how the Chargers constructed the preseason, right? Because they were like, okay, here's Chase Daniel and Easton Stick and they'll do some stuff. But, you know, not having your quarterback out there in terms of your offense and constructing it, like obviously they've been working on it and making Herbert the system, as they've said um, a lot of times, but... I actually just don't know how he's going to do as a play caller. I didn't think the preseason was that inspiring. Um, you know, he did lead that kind of 20 yard drive in the, the Rams game or, you know, that 20 play drive, I should say in the Rams game. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there were some moments there early in the Niners game. I thought he was okay, but really like the last six quarters of the preseason, the offense kind of stunk. Um, yeah. But it's also because they were playing fewer and fewer guys on offense. Right. You know, by the third preseason game, it was Michael Bandy, Tyron Johnson. uh, And, you know, those were your really three receivers that you had. John Hurst. John Hurst was the other one. Yeah. John Hurst. Right. So, like, you know, it's hard to gauge what Joe Lombardi's going to do with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and Josh Palmer based on what he does with John Hurst and Michael Bandy. Right. So, like, I think that's hard. Um, I, I think we have learned some things, right? They're obviously going to be very aggressive downfield and use Justin Herbert's arm and use his talent. But as a play-to-play, uh, you know, kind of caller, I, I don't really know if I've learned much about Joe Lombardi just because he's not playing with the guys that he's supposed to play with. Um, so I, I would say I'm undecided on Joe Lombardi. I'm cautiously optimistic, but I just don't know if we have enough information at this point to really say it one way or the other. Yeah, I can't say I've learned as much as confirmed, I suppose. I think Joe Lombardi is doing, at least based on what I've seen in, in training camp and at the scrimmage, hard to tell in the preseason, obviously, but I think he's doing exactly what he was hired to do. Can I install a Shanahan run scheme? Yes. And make Justin Herbert the feature of this offense. Yes. Am I going to throw it more? Uh-huh. Am I going to spread it to all my receivers and all my tight ends? Yes. So I think right now he's just doing everything that he's supposed to do as far as the creativity or the effectiveness of these calls remains to be seen. We'll find out very, very sure. soon this season. But for right now, I do think he's doing everything that he's supposed to do. There's no real surprise here. Everything looks as expected in terms of what they're trying to do, which is good. They want Herbert to bootleg. They want to run outside zone. They want to run a lot of play action. They're going to get the ball to their running backs and all their receivers and all their different weapons. We're not just going to run up the middle. You know, the the calls have been, maybe not in the preseason, but I do think during the scrimmage and training camp, the calls have been varied for sure. I think different guys are moving different ways. I don't remember Justin Jackson being such a receiver in in slot or on the outside. Eckler slot outside, Parham slot outside, Anderson in the backfield, inline tight end or outside. Gabe Neighbors is running on the outside now. There's just so many different looks Again, whether it works or not, I don't know. But so far, it looks like they're trying to make a complex offense built off some really, really great principles, and they're getting it to their best players. And it's in the hands of their really smart quarterback. So right now, and again, I don't that didn't really teach me anything, but at least confirms that he's doing his job. And it looks like they're going to be exactly what they were supposed to be when they hired him. Yeah, that, that's a really good way to put it. I think both of you guys really summed it up. Uh, I'm still cautious, cautiously optimistic, like Alex said. And but I do think that he's kind of, you know, like met expectations to this point. And the biggest thing that we all wanted to see from him is that he would be able to come into a new situation and be a collaborator, because that was kind of the critique of his time at Detroit. Again, if you listen to our conversation with Jeff Duncan, 
or read Jeff Duncan's book or listen to Dan Orlovsky talk about the situation. It, it was just not a good philosophical or cultural fit between uh, Joe Lombardi and Jim Caldwell because Jim Caldwell was very strict. He wanted him, he wanted Joe Lombardi to be doing what he wanted him to be doing. And that's just like, some people are okay being yes men and other people aren't. And, you know, so I, I wanted to see the way that Joe Lombardi was going to come in and collaborate. And if it was like going to be okay, we're just running the Saints offense. Like, this is what I know. This is what we're going to be doing. But then you read, you know, Robert Mays's article, which I referenced earlier. And, you know, they're doing a lot of RPO stuff, which we see a little bit. stick, And that makes sense, right? Like you watch Justin Herbert at Oregon. And he's very comfortable doing RPO stuff. It lets the team use his legs as a threat. That makes sense. Like we wanted to see more of that last year. And then, you know, you want to see him kind of use Justin Herbert and expand their game in terms of the intermediate range. And that's what we've seen. A lot of tight end stuff in the flats, a lot of tight end stuff, you know, in the kind of the deep outs and as well as Josh Palmer. So everything we're hearing just kind of makes sense. But I do agree with Alex. Like we have to be cautiously optimistic still because we didn't really see much of it. Like we saw the one drive against the Rams, a few drives against the Niners when Filer and Abushi were in there, where it was like, okay, you can see kind of glimpses of what they want to do, but it, it's tough when you have, you know, Darius Harper and Trey Pipkins as your tackles and, you know, uh, all the backups and stuff like that. There's battles and running back. And so I do agree. It, it's definitely cautious optimism at this point. Cool. All right. <laughs> Love the awkward silences. All right. Let's wrap up today's show uh, by kind of sorting the AFC into tiers. Uh, of course, our previous episode, we did give our uh, playoff picks and Super Bowl predictions, um, but I, I'm a big fan of doing tiers. And this was actually Alex's idea. So I'm glad that he brought this up. Um, so I'll let Alex go first here. We're going to be sorting uh, AFC teams into the following tiers Super Bowl contenders, playoff contenders. Um, if a few things go right, potentially playoff contenders, uh, Alex said bad, but still tough and then Texans. So, uh, Alex, I'll let you kick this conversation off. How do you have, uh, the AFC sorted out into those tiers? Yeah. So I think the Super Bowl contenders right off the top are, are the three teams that we'll talk about the whole season. Really it's the chiefs bills, uh, and the Browns. Uh, I think there's an argument for the Ravens to be in here. Um, if the offensive line is okay. And obviously if they, you know, Gus Edwards is a serviceable replacement for J.K. Dobbins. But for now, I have those three teams kind of locked into that tier. Um, not a whole lot needs to be explained. I mean, the Chiefs and the Bills are what they are with their star quarterbacks. The Browns have a nasty defense and a pretty solid offense with Baker Mayfield and all of the weapons there. Um, playoff uh, contenders, I do have the Ravens, Titans, Patriots, and Chargers in that tier. Um, the Ravens are kind of just outside the Super Bowl tier. So to me, like they can definitely fluctuate upwards. The Titans uh, I have in the playoff tier. I want to see what they are with Arthur Smith before we get into real like contender territory with them. Uh, I just kind of need to see what their passing offense is going to be like. Um, the Patriots are there, I think, just because they have a really high floor. Um, they're not going to be a 4-12 and or 4-13 and kind of team they're not going to bottom out they have a really solid defense they have got their offense more weapons and free agency right uh so i think that you know bringing along mac jones there will be fairly easy to do and i don't think he'll have to 
play the hero ball that Zach Wilson uh, or Trevor Lawrence will have to play with their teams. So I think that they made it easy on him. And because of that, you know, they're going to have a relatively high floor. The Chargers are there. Uh, um, I mean, we've all talked about, you know, what this team can be, in which the ceiling is the Super Bowl and the floor is, you know, probably seven and 10, right? Like that's sort of what we talk about this team like. So, um, you know, obviously you see Derwin James and Joey Bosa and Justin Herbert and like what this team can be. But, you know, first year head coach, definitely some question marks. So that's why I, you know, would not put them in a Super Bowl contending tier yet. Just because there is such a high variance between what they can be and what they might be given injuries and all that stuff. Um, So I have them playoff contender tier. The if a few things go right tier is made up by the Colts, Steelers, Broncos, and Dolphins for me. Uh, Just a kind of quick summary on all these teams. I think the Colts are good in some instances but like what their offense is going to be is heavily reliant on what Carson Wentz is going to be um they just lost P.Y. Hilton and their offensive line situation now is not great um I think if they get quite a few breaks in terms of health they'll be okay um but they don't really have an offensive player that I would love that like carries the offense for them I think Jonathan Taylor is good and they have that kind of deep running back by rotation committee. But to me, I think they need a little bit more than like Mike Pittman and Zach Pascal sort of carrying the offense on the outside. Um, So I'll be curious to see what they do. Steelers, Broncos and Dolphins. Broncos really hinge on what level of play Teddy Bridgewater or Drew Locke end up giving them. I think that they can certainly move up the tiers based on how that defense is, but you know, the quarterback is the question mark. Dolphins, same thing. Um, I mean, I think they have a really solid team and they were one game away from the playoffs last season, but two is the question mark, right? If he develops further and has that breakout season, then the Dolphins can easily put themselves maybe even a high Super Bowl contention. I don't think that'd be crazy. Um, and the Steelers depend on, you know, what Big Ben is. Uh, so to me, that's really how that kind of breaks down in that tier. The bad but still tough tier, um, I really just, tough is an exaggeration, but I did kind of mean that to (laughs) say you can't automatically cross that team off to be a W during the season. Um, So I have the Jets, Raiders, and Bengals in that tier. Um, So the Jets have Zach Wilson, and I do like Robert Sala as well as, um, you know, what that new offense is going to be. So that's kind of going to be interesting to watch. I really like what they did in the draft. And obviously they have Michael floor there to kind of open up the Shanahan system, if you will. Uh, the Raiders uh, not good <laughs> defensively. And that's the one thing that I think will hold them back. Uh, they also have a terrible football coach. Uh, so that's something that will hold you back <laughs> as well, but because they have Derek Carr, you know, he played pretty well last year. They have Darren Waller and they have some weapons that I think will keep them in games like Josh Jacobs as well. Uh, the Bengals I put in this tier as well. I think there can be an argument for them to be in the Texans tier uh, just based on the fact that they're still rebuilding. But if Joe Burrow is healthy, um, I think that they could get to maybe five or six wins. I don't think that's a crazy outlook for them. They're pretty deep at receiver now with T Higgins and Boyd and uh, Jamar Chase. So, you know, they have some weapons to kind of spread the field uh, on offense Defense and offensive line, still a work in progress, uh, but right. I think that they'll be better than they were last year. And in the Texans tier, uh, this was originally just supposed to be for the Texans. 
but I think the Jaguars, <laughs> they're so bad now that they've entered the Texans oh. tier uh, with Urban Meyer. We That's a huge question mark. I don't know how he's going to coach this year and adapt to the NFL game. But also now Travis Etienne is out, and that was such a huge part of their plan. I think James Robinson can step in fine, but I'm curious to see what Daryl Bevel and Urban Meyer do there to kind of mitigate uh, some of their losses and injuries. So, and obviously the Texans come in last. Um, that's, you know, kind of the most unfortunate situation in the NFL. Obviously Tyrod is probably going to be the starter there because of the Deshaun Watson situation that's going on. Um, and they have a first time head coach and David Culley who didn't have like a ton of experience doing what they really want him to do now as a head coach. Um, so there's a lot of concerns there. The roster is very bare bones and a bunch of guys that they like signed to one year, $2 million deals, like, um, Desmond King and like, uh, you know, a bunch of other guys that were sort of rejected by other teams. Um, so, you know, there is a bit of like a last chance you feel with that team, <laughs> uh, where they just have all these guys that are like you know, kind of trying to prove that they still belong in the NFL and can play. Um, and, you know, they got some guys like Kiki QT, who's like, all right, he's interesting. Um, they, they just drafted cut Davis him. Mills, but oh, they just got him. Wow. Yeah. All right. So they have less good things on their football team than I <laughs> thought before. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. They have Brandon the Cooks. Are just Brandon Cooks weird... is about it. Yeah, that's about it. Uh, There's just this weird amalgamation of, you know, kind of going one way. I mean, really their future will not be clear until this Deshaun Watson thing is solved. And so that has really just skyrocketed this team directly into the cellar. Very nice. All right, I'll jump into mine. Uh, Some very, obviously very similar. So the Super Bowl contenders, Chiefs, Bills, Browns. I don't think that's really debatable. For me, the playoff contenders is where I differ from you. I do have the Ravens there, but I also have the Steelers there. I'm going to consider them playoff contenders until they aren't. They have not had a losing record since 2003. So I think they're going to be just fine. I don't think they're going to necessarily push for a Super Bowl by any means. But you know, I think they're you know playoff contenders for sure. And listen, they have Najee Harris on their team. I don't know if you knew that, Alex. Uh, but I took him first overall <laughs> in the fantasy football draft. Um, that, no one cares about your fantasy me. football team. <laughs> you do because you gave me that first pick. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, so I do, have, I do have the Steelers there as a playoff contender with the Chargers, Titans, Patriots, and Ravens. Ravens, I think, of all of these teams, are the ones who could bump up to Super Bowl contender the most. I just need to see a little bit from them with that new rushing attack because, unfortunately, also like fantasy, I lost Dobbins for the year. So there's that. The Chargers probably have the most variance in that group. I think they are firmly playoff contenders. They could also be an absolute disaster. But considering everything that's happened so far, I'm less likely to believe they're a disaster because they are currently healthy. And then, so I do think playoff contender is solid. We all had them as a wild card team. I think that makes sense. Uh, could be, if everything goes right, that tier goes to the Broncos, Colts, and Dolphins. I sort of wanted to put the Raiders there because I do think their offense is going to be good. As much crap as we give John Gruden, the guy who taught Sean Payton everything is John Gruden. The guy who taught Joe Lombardi everything is Sean Payton. So there's a lot of John Gruden things in this Chargers offense. So I think we should respect him there. And they do have a decent offense. Josh Gibbs is still kind of dynamic, I think. If I had traded him anyway to Alex's fantasy team, you can hang out with that. Uh, and the Jets, I like what they did in the draft. I think in a separate universe, the duo of uh, Elijah Vera Tucker and then Elijah Moore would be a solid draft for the Chargers. That didn't happen, obviously. I'm very happy with how the Chargers draft turned out. But I do like that group. 
Um, I do have in the Texans group the same two, the Jaguars and the Texans. I think those two teams are pretty bad. The Texans are pretty awful. I've never seen a team so dysfunctional through every level of the franchise for one season. Hopefully that gets turned around because there are some good players in that team who deserve more than that. But it's a disaster. The Jaguars are definitely a dumpster fire. They kind of were anyway, unfortunately for Trevor Lawrence. Sometimes being picked number one overall isn't the best thing ever, uh, despite the fact that you get a fat contract. I do have a tier below that, though. And I'm going to put the Cincinnati Bengals in that tier. And the the tier is called morons because I was (laughs) appalled that they – so they currently have a receiver they took in the first round that apparently can't catch. Now, I do believe he'll do fine. That's why – hey, look, another fantasy reference. That's why I drafted him uh, in fantasy football. But I'm going to call them morons because they passed on Panay Sewell. And because they passed on Panay Sewell, they now have Sewell with the Detroit Lions, where he's currently being forced to play right tackle, which is an absolute disaster so far, and a complete travesty for a generational tackle who was amazing at left tackle, and they should have kept him there. But now he's into Detroit. He's in freaking Detroit playing right tackle for Anthony Lynn. That's horrific. I feel so bad for him, so I'm blaming the Bengals for that. And they also could have had Elijah Moore in the second round, but instead they went with Jackson Carmen, who I believe isn't even starting yet and was injured for part of the season. So uh, my disdain for the Bengals has grown because of what they did to Vinay Sewell, and because they did the opposite of what I'd like the Chargers to do, which is go with a skill position player and then dress the offensive line later on. But that's why they're in the moron tier. And I hope that they the Chargers beat them because I really need to delete this video if they don't. <laughs> uh, really quick before I give mine, Alex, I know you want to respond about John Gruden. Oh, no. I mean, I just think, uh, do I have to respect John Gruden? Um Yes, I, I respect that he got $100 million from Mark Davis. That's what I respect <laughs> yeah. about him. Uh, other than that, he's yeah. been a complete failure. They've gone 19 and 29, and he's worse than Jack Del Rio. Thank you. Well, I blame you. <laughs> Not the offensive mind. And I bet you he puts cards back. Yeah. All right, so uh, for my playoff tiers, or AFC tiers, excuse me, uh, I have Chiefs, Bills, Browns at the Super Bowl. And then playoff, I have the Ravens, Titans, Chargers, and Steelers. Um, you know, I, I think the Titans, I don't necessarily like put them in that same tier of team, but I, I just think like they're, they're a lock to win their division. So like they're, they are a playoff team kind of by default. Um, I, like Alex was saying, I need to see how that offense comes together without Arthur Smith, but more importantly, I just, I don't like many of their defensive players like Bud Dupree is a solid secondary pass rusher and i think jeffrey simmons is a really really good defensive tackle but that's like about it you know they have uh caleb farley who really needs to prove that he can stay healthy at corner and they have uh jim norris jenkins opposite of him and jenkins hasn't been good for like four years so um outside of simmons and maybe their safety uh i forget his first name but byard is his last name um there isn't really a whole lot on defense and that defense has kind of been a mess, which is really surprising because Mike Vrabel is a defensive guy. Like, that's why he got hired. So I just need to see more out of them. But I have the Colts in the next tier because I have no idea if they're going to stay healthy. I have no idea who's going to get COVID or not. Um, like, their four or five most vocal leaders have all come out and said that they are not vaccinated and are not planning to get vaccinated. So the Colts are a solid franchise, but the, their window of variance is very similar to the charges this year. Where like, if they won five games and Carson Wentz didn't play and Darius Leonard missed a few games with COVID and Quentin Nelson didn't play, like I wouldn't be all that surprised. 
And of course, Eric Fisher is coming back from an Achilles injury. So the Colts could certainly like if things go right and Carson Wentz does, you know, be the quarterback that they need him to be sure they can make the playoffs, but it could also like shit could also hit the fan really quickly and they could be really bad again. So um, that's kind of where I'm at with the Colts. The Patriots are in that if a few things go right tier, because I still like am skeptical of Mac Jones kind of being a consistent quarterback from a week to week basis who can win them games. I think the rest of their roster is solid. Um, their front seven is nasty with Matthew Judon and Josh Uche, but their secondary is really kind of full of older players. Stephon Gilmore is not healthy right now. So there are definitely some things that I think could go wrong for them that would kind of force them out of the playoffs. And of course, you know, they're in the same conference or same division as the bills and the dolphins. So I I'm kind of waiting and see with the Patriots still. Um, also in that tier, I have the Dolphins, similar kind of thing. I'm a big believer in Tua and what he'll be able to do this year, but we need to see it first. And, you know, Will Fuller is suspended to start the year, so you have Jalen Waddell. Devontae Parker is injured right now. And, you know, we kind of give a lot of crap to the Bengals for what they've done with the offensive line, but the Dolphins don't really have a very good offensive either. You know, I liked Austin Jackson as kind of like that you know, fifth tackle last year. He hasn't been very good. They're playing Liam Eichenberg at guard, which I, I don't Wait, really like. That. Yeah. Who decided on that one? Yeah. So oh. initially, like in the spring, they said that Robert Hunt was going to be playing guard and Liam Eichenberg was going to be playing right tackle. And now it's the other way around. Robert Hunt is playing right tackle and Liam Eichenberg is playing guard. So I'm just very skeptical of the offensive line. I don't like any of their running backs. I think, you know, Miles Gaskin is okay, but. The defense is solid. They're going to be very well coached, and so they'll be very competitive. But I just I need to see more. Um, and then the Broncos are in that tier as well. I'm not going to talk about them because we all know why. Um, I think the Raiders are close to this kind of tier. Like Tyler, I, I kind of agree there, but I'm not going to put them there. Um, I just think with the offense, with Derek Carr, Darren Waller, and, and kind of the rest of the pieces, I think they'll be competitive in every game. I just don't buy their ability to close out games, especially with the defense, um, which Mike Clay for ESPN has them projected as the second worst defense in the league in terms of points given up, which is going to be fun to watch. Um, Also in that tier, I had the Jets and the Bengals. I do think the Jets are kind of stepping in the right direction. Um, Joe Douglas, I think, is doing a really good job kind of building up that team. You know, their offensive line is going to be pretty solid with Mekhi Becton, Elijah Vera Tucker, and uh, George Fant, who's a tackle. So I like I like a lot of parts of them. They're going to miss Carl Lawson for sure. That defense is going to struggle uh, to kind of get after quarterbacks. But I, I think they'll be a like competitive 5-12, and 6-11 kind of team. Um, and then the Bengals are in that tier as well. And then Texans, Jaguars, both going to be pretty bad. You know, the Jaguars, I think really Urban just kind of underestimated how bad that roster is. Um, and how hard it was going to be kind of rebuilding that from the studs up because, you know, they really have like outside of Trevor Lawrence, like I don't know who their long-term building blocks are. I think they have a good left tackle. I forget his name right now. Um, and Josh Allen, the pass rusher is okay, but that's like it in terms of long-term building blocks. And, you know, they took his buddy, they took Trevor Lawrence's buddy at the running back in the first round. And like, that was cool. But they needed several, they needed help at several other positions. And it was like, why are you taking a running back? So the roster decisions have been confusing. 
hiring failed coordinators in Seattle was confusing. Um, so I just, it's going to be tough there. I think it, it sucks that both those teams are in the same division, but you know, one of them is going to get at least one win this year, but there's a good chance that both of these teams are kind of one in 16, two and 15 kind of range, which is, is, is awful to watch. So those are my tears. Very nice. Which of the crap teams is the best shot of being decent or making a push? Um, that includes the bad, but still tough. Tier yes. Or, yeah. I think it's the rate. I think it's pretty clearly the Raiders. I, mm-hmm. I think like they have a lot of question marks and the defense is, is certainly bad, but I think they have enough with, you know, like Yannick and Gawkway and, and Gerald McCoy. And now they signed um, uh, KJ Wright and Max Crosby. So I think they have enough like pass rushers to kind of keep games close. And I think their offense, you know, is certainly going to be top tier um, or mm-hmm. middle tier, I should say. Um, so I, I think the Raiders would certainly be, you know, that, that eight, nine, nine, eight kind of team. Yeah. I'll take the Jets from that tier. Um, I really like what Salah uh, is kind of doing there. And obviously you have the uh, Michael LaFleur, who is kind of a, you know, going to work really well i think with zach wilson um i don't think yeah. that they have the talent the raiders do which is why i hesitate to say this but i do kind of think that zach wilson's hero ball can kind of win you more games maybe than like sam darnold's approach um obviously the the lack of weapons and you know this is still kind of a rebuild uh will will hold them back but it wouldn't shock me if they got to seven eight wins I wouldn't be stunned by that outcome. Uh, I don't wouldn't expect them to go any higher than that, but I would say yeah. their ceiling is a little bit higher than some of those other teams. Just really quick before Tyler jumps in here, uh, the Jets' schedule is actually pretty manageable. They play, uh, they get the AFC South as kind of their thing, so they'll they'll get two free wins against the Jaguars and the Texans. You know, they play the Eagles too, the Broncos. Um, they play the Colts. So if the Colts are kind of a mess, that could be a win for them. They play the Broncos, Panthers, Falcons. So there, there definitely is a pathway for, for the Giants to, or for the Giants, for the Jets to win seven, eight games. I have nothing to add. Okay, no. good. Uh, all right, guys, any uh, final thoughts before we wrap up today's show? No, I have nothing to add. No thoughts. Great. Sounds good. <laughs> Uh, this has been a fun episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, make sure and smash that like button. Subscribe to our channel. Leave us a rating or a view on the audio platform of your choice. We do really appreciate that. Um, this has been the Guilty as Charged podcast, and we are signing off. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.